everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. TCU beats Baylor 42-17. Great senior night, last home game of the season. As we were saying right before we hit record, we're wrapping up our ninth season of the Frogcast. Oh my goodness. This is the geriatric podcast of TCU Podcasting. So we've been going at this a while. I know there's a lot more platforms out there now. There's a lot more podcasts. I think that's great. But we've been doing this a long, long time, fellas. And uh, every time we get a win over Baylor, it's always a good day. So we've had one loss to Baylor since we started the frog the Frogcast. So I'm going to go ahead and ask Mr. Mark Cohen to tweet that out. Jeremy, before I hit you up here, I want to give you a couple of great stats. These are these are straight out of of Mark Cohen's lexicon. TCU is eight of their last nine against Baylor, including the game where Max was in. I came up with this one. Since the death of the Southwest Conference, the Frogs are 12-4 and against Baylor. Every loss to Baylor is a one-score loss, and I have lost track of the blowouts. So the Frogs have continued to dominate Baylor since the death of the Southwest Conference, 12-4, and eight of the last nine, including that faux loss where Max was in. Jeremy, I don't care that it's been a rough season. This is one of those games that makes it feel a little bit better after the, watching the Frogs go out there and dominate in the revivalry. I hate the term, but it's a lot better than the blue bonnet bowl or blue bonnet battle or the shield of, uh, you know, that shield looks like it was made from Hobby Lobby or something, you know, had a couple of uh, moms that had a little too much time on their hands that painted that up with some acrylic. I better stop before I get in trouble. It's good to be Baylor. Some students worked very hard on that Captain America shield, Jeff. I I did not work hard in anything once I was a student. (laughs) Man, what a great game! Uh, you're right. This is it hasn't been the season that TCU obviously wanted, um, starting from Sunny Dykes all the way down to us lowly fans. TCU went out there and did what they were expected to do. If out of it, it, yes, it was against Baylor. Yes, we can all agree Baylor's not a good team. But when you win forty-two to seventeen, you don't punt the ball. You could have scored fifty-six on the day. Uh, the two red zone uh, issues early on in the game were, were still there, but they did everything. Um, people are going to complain still. They're going to find a way to complain. Yes, they did give up 17 points. Who cares? This was a dominating win. This There was no doubt in my mind. We'll talk about different phases of the game, but there was no doubt in my mind that TCU was going to go out and win this game. I think you – um, myself and and Jamie all predicted, you know, two touchdown, three touchdown victories for TCU this weekend. I think it was – I based my prediction off how they finished against Texas and how bad I knew Baylor was. I don't know what you based your prediction off of, but this this was a great game for TCU. They needed this win, and, and what better uh, opponent to do it against than the, the lowly Baylor Bears – yeah, I base my prediction off of the fact that Baylor is is terrible. Um, our producer here, Daniel Southern, he had a handle for years on Twitter that I can't use on a family-friendly podcast. Baylor sucks, a three-letter word. That was part of what I, uh, I based it on. But yeah, you base it off of, you know, they looked great in the fourth quarter against Texas. The defense played really well in the second half against Texas. And this is the worst Baylor team that they have put on the field since the day they hired Art Bryles. I mean, that's the bottom line. Since they hired Art Bryles, this is the worst Baylor team that has been on the field. I know the first couple of Bryles years were were slow to creep up, but they had execution. They had a they had some identity. 
they should have lost to UCF, and that would put them at a, as a two-win team. And so this, I thought we were going to win because Baylor was really bad. And I think the offense, at least, is generating some idea, identity. And Hoover is feeling more comfortable in the pocket and finding the people that he wants to get the ball to. And I also thought, and we're going to get to this, don't worry. I thought that the pass game could mask what is clearly a deficiency in the interior offensive line. We'll, we'll, we're, we're not going to pull any punches. There were some. There continue to be deficiencies in the interior offensive line. I predicted 48-17, and if we hadn't had that fumble in the red zone, it would have been 49-17. So I was, I was really darn close. You were close. That, very close. Yeah, I was, I was very Let's close. Let's go to Winstar. Let's go up to Winstar and see if they'll sponsor the broadcast while we're up there. You know, I got Tunica just across the border into Mississippi here, and I, you know, for for five ninety nine a week, I can give you Jeff and Jeremy's picks. And you, what you first thing you got to do is you got to go ten percent of your of your total bet, and then you take the rest of it and you bet it on the opposite of what we suggest, and that you will start to make money on that. Make sure you pull your kid's college fund. Get your direct deposit into the Frogcast. I can give you my Venmo. Does that sound like a good business plan to you, Jason? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, if if someone wants to take me to Dane's Dane's Barbecue like once a week, they'll get more insider exclusive info more than what they get on here and uh, Horn Frog Blitz because um, I know you guys are always concerned with what you pay for. So hopefully we deliver. But let's talk about the positives first. What do you got down on your notes there? I know you got a ton of positives. All right, let me let me hit you with some positives, and then um, I'll tee you up to talk here. All right, number one, uh, in the last six quarters, as you said, TCU is outscored their opponents sixty-two to twenty. You have to feel really good about that. What I loved about the Baylor game, so we'll, we'll just stick with the positives here. Eight explosive plays, twenty plays of twenty yards or over. There were eight plays over twenty plus yards, and those two things right there combined with you know shutting down and 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 uh, uh, Texas defense that has ability that clearly bled over into the uh, Texas offense that has ability that bled over into this game. The Frogs only gave up 17. They had uh, more explosive plays in this game than they had hell. If you told me that they'd had 10 explosive plays all season, I would believe you, even though I know that that's not quite right. So I thought the, the offense's ability to, you know, Ken, let's say it, Kendall Bryles's ability to scheme open some receivers and get the, stretch the field and get the ball into the hands of people that can make a play, that is, uh, that is sophomoric analysis, and it also happens to be true. And those were the things that I was excited to see. The defense did its job. I don't want to hear another word about Gillespie until 2025 because he has bought the entire 24 season uh, this season as far as I'm concerned. And I like what I've seen out of Kendall Bryles in the last six quarters. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but Gillespie's not going anywhere. I, I, and I'm telling you right no, now. No, that's good news for me. No, no. I, I'm quite comfortable. Oh, I know. There's, I'm, 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 I'm talking to the fans that, that want to see him go. We, and we, we all know who they are. And they can pull all their hair out, what's left of it. And because I know it's been a stressful season. I know that's not a ball joke, by the way, Jeff. I know it's been a frustrating season, season for, for fans with watching this defense. But there's been enough games that Gillespie has performed well enough to where – you know, they, he, Sonny Docks isn't going to say you you need to go. Um, there obviously is some offensive uh, mishaps. Red zone is one of the worst red zone scoring offenses. But I think someone noted today, and I haven't looked it up, but I I know going into the game against either Texas or against Baylor, the the yards per game was 16 in the nation. 
So they're doing something right. They're moving the ball between the 20s. But I would say the, the positive thing about this game, and this is the first time I could say this happened all year as I'm in the press box, I'm watching this game. This was the first game this year where I felt like there was nothing Baylor could do to get TCU's offense off the field. I felt every time TCU got the ball, they were going to score. And that is quite honestly the first time I've felt that way all year. I felt a lot like that last year. This is the first game I felt like that this year. And and it showed. I mean, they from the very opening whistle, they drove right down the field. Obviously, excuse me, obviously you have the crazy fumble um, because let's just face it, Bailey got killed as soon as he got the handoff. Second possession, they they go right down the field again. And you could just kind of see there was some very positive things when it when it came to the passing game. And I made a comment early in the game thread that, hey, if Josh has to throw – I'm sorry to all you guys that think you have to run the football to win football games. They had 100 yards and they won this game by how many points, Jeff? 25? Is that- I was told there would be no math. Yeah, 20- 42 to 17. So That's 25. They- they 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 ran for a total of 100 yards, and if you take away those two long touchdowns by Monty Bailey, I won't do the math on that. You guys at home could do that, but they finished 100 yards, uh, 100 yards on 30 carries. You take away those two carries, you're you're under 50 yards on 28 carries, and that that is an abysmal offensive run game. But the the great thing that we saw, Josh Hoover throws for over 400 yards, second time this year. He was dialed in. That kid completed 24 of 29, nearly perfect. Had a few drop passes. The only really bad pass I think I remember seeing was the one to JPR in the flats. He kind of overthrew him a little bit. But other than that, there was there's a, a, a ton of positives um, for this offense. And it goes back to, like you said, how they were performing against Texas last week. They, I told you last week on this very show that I felt like if they got the ball back – if Avery Helm doesn't give up that long play and TCU's offense gets the ball back, they're either driving down the field and tying the game with a field goal or they're even winning that game late in, late in the fourth quarter because the offense was just clicking and 62 points the last six quarters. Actually, 62 points the last five quarters when you think about it. So the offense is definitely clicking right now. Well, let me run down a couple of numbers and round out a little bit on Josh. Josh Hoover, 24 of 29, 412 yards. Jared Wiley, seven catches for 178 yards, two touchdowns for Wiley. You noted this in your post, post-game post recap, but clearly Kendall Bryles listens to the Frogcast. He's, he's obviously locked in. This is where he comes for, for good coaching tips and ways that he wants to improve the offense, especially with the great minds that we have on this show. Is it just me, or did we see some design runs for Josh Hoover? Were they like, let's do it, screw it, let's go for it, let's see if we can make this happen? Or, you know, was did, I don't I don't think it was busted coverage. I thought they said, let's run the quarterback and use his legs, and that's what got him into the end zone. Yeah, Sonny, <laughs> I was talking – we were talking to him after the game last night, and, and I brought up those two plays. And it, it's basically it's, – it's obvious to see that they haven't been using design runs with Josh um, – Nearly the whole time he's been starting quarterback. Yeah, he'll scramble every now and then, but I think it was in a way to protect Josh because Chandler wasn't fully healthy and they didn't want to roll out with Jimmy Wyrick or Grant Tisdale if they had to. But when I mentioned that to Sonny, were you guys holding that 
holding anything back? Was that something y'all were holding back? The design runs. He's like, man, no, we were throwing everything against the wall this year. We were trying everything to see if it would work, but it just happened to work there. And I think it was a great, I think it was a great time to call it. I mean, you had a, you had a long situation and Josh did good running the football. And when you had that, that read play, um, he read it perfectly, got a great block from DJ Rogers. I think it was on the perimeter and just basically walked it in. So I thought Kendall Browse did a really good job calling this game. Now I know the the guys sitting at home, sitting in their armchairs, they hated the reverse to Savion Williams. They hated that. I didn't blame it. You know why? Because there was no way in hell they were running up the middle. And, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be quite honest here. As much as I love Savion Williams right now and how he's playing, the dude should have planted his six foot five, two hundred and twenty five pound body and turned it upfield a little bit faster to get that yard. And I think he could have. Um, but I think Savion just tried to use his speed to get to the edge. But I like I didn't mind the call, um, just simply because the last time they tried to get they they tried two run plays before that and were stuffed. And obviously the first series they had, Bailey gets smacked, fumbles, and loses eighteen yards. So I think in the uh, I don't know what the total was, and we'll we'll probably talk about it in the negatives. But the 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 rushes up the middle were no bueno. And for you non-Spanish speaking listeners, that means no good. No good running up the middle. Definitely no bueno, as opposed to getting the ball to Jared Wiley, which is taco bueno, as far as I'm concerned. This show is full of dad jokes. The show is full of dad jokes. So Wiley going out on senior day, this is clearly going to be his last season. I think he could have come back for one more year if he wanted to, but I'm glad to see him. Looks like he's going to go pro. His time in college has come to an end. And I thought that was a great game for him to go out on. As we said, seven catches for 178 yards. It, it was 81 yards. I mean, I, I in a sense, I know that was blown coverage. But how many times have you seen a guy wide open and then they overthrow it or they underthrow it or they make him stop? That that was that was probably my favorite play of the year. If for nothing else, it made Hoover and Wiley look great, and it made the Dave Aranda defense look pretty bad. You're talking about how many times have we seen someone that wide open? You're you know we watched the TCU defense the past few years. Give me a this, this is give, true. give me a give me a give me a drum beat there Daniel on that joke. Um anyhow, I, I thought that was I thought that was a really good play. Awesome block by Savion. Man, Savion just peeled off his guy and made a tremendous block. Just got basically got in his way, but 178 yards and you go back when I heard 178 yards and Mark Totus that's the most yards in a single game for a TCU tight end. And automatically in my head, I think back to Kelly Blackwell and I think back to when he's hauling in all those catches. But I just I, – I can't I can't imagine a tight end at TCU having that many yards and just exploding the way he did. But we said in fall camp, this is going to be an offense that's going to – utilize their tight ends and and man Jared Wiley is having a hell of a season and I can't wait I can't wait to see kind of how high he projects for the NFL because I think he's going to be a guy that's going to get a lot of looks from the NFL types because of his frame obviously showed some pretty good speed on that long touchdown and showed some really good athleticism on that 28 yard touchdown where he basically dove from the five yard line to uh you know get over the Baylor defenders One of the other things on offense that we have to feel excited about, third down. 
we have seen that the frogs struggle on third down. I know we kind of already done our wink and the mot- nod at the end at the at the red zone that didn't quite go the way we wanted. But the frogs were nine of eleven on third down, and you compare that to Baylor, who was five of fourteen on third down. I don't want to say that's the ball game, but those are the things you do to win games. And so to see this offense, which has struggled, especially when we were looking at the early half of the year when our frustration was beginning to boil over, to see this offense go nine of eleven on third down. I think you got to give credit to Hoover finding the guys that were open, feeding the people that could catch the ball, and it seems as if it seems as if Browse has a better understanding of what he wants to see happen on offense. And when you get in that third down situation, just just monitoring my own emotions, it didn't feel so angst inducing as it would have say against you know even Houston or go back to West Virginia um, when they get in third down against Baylor. I felt like I, I was confident the entire time. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. It's like I there was never a time where I didn't feel like they couldn't get a big play. Even I think it was there. What I can't remember what quarter it was. They were down, kind of pinned deep toward the north end zone. They get uh, an illegal formation. It's first and fifteen. They get a little three yard run. Then it's second and twelve. And you're thinking, okay, well this drive is going to be over because this offense has not played well when they're playing behind the sticks all year long. What happens next? You have Hoover take the snap. He launches a deep ball down the left sideline, places it perfectly in the waiting arms of Savion Williams, huge 41-yard gain. And then a few plays later, they're scoring. And so that's that, to me, with all these explosive plays, you're throwing the ball downfield. I hate to say it because I know it brings up bad memories, but it kind of reminded me of, you know, the way they utilize that passing game when those guys were at Baylor. Now, if you can get a running game to go with that, because I think the running game is what set up all those great explosive plays that they had when they were at Baylor. There is, we got to talk about, do you want to talk more about positives still, or do you want to talk negatives yet? This was my transition. The Frogs put up 531 yards of offense in the running game was a D plus at best. So yeah, let's just dig into it. And so, but you talked about, you don't want to give people flashbacks to, you know, what Baylor was able to do, you know, 13, 14, 15. I think it was Matt Jennings. So if, if somebody correct, correct me if I'm misquoting him, he used to talk about the Baylor offense as uh, he said it was a misnomer to say they wanted to throw the ball all the time. He said it was downfield and downhill that they were designed to be able to run the ball downhill. And when they ran the ball, it wasn't, you know, the old dad cliche, we got to keep them honest. It's just the way that they were able to attack downfield. It allowed them to, to run the ball up the middle. And, you know, who remembers uh, Lake Seastrunk, you know, taking a draw and going 27 yards when they've got four wides and they've been torching us all field and he doesn't get touched till he's 14 yards downfield. So that is something that is clearly missing in this offense. That is something that is clearly not present and if we have to assign it anywhere, I think we have to assign it to the interior offensive line. So yeah, let's dig into what's not working because I'm going to argue that the, that those middle three frogs blew them out, and that was a bad game from them. Yeah, and you could tell Sonny's getting frustrated by it, and uh, you know he sees it. We're all talking about it. He sees it. I don't think they have the guys that they could just throw in there and replace you know, any any of those guys. I don't think so. And at this point, you want to say, 
Well, why not give anyone else a chance to see how they can do? It can't be any worse. But the weird thing about it is, Jeff, they're great pass protectors. They they protected Josh all night. The only time he really got a sack is when he, you know, he he was the one that kind of ran out of the pocket himself. And I think he got I think it was a tackle on the on the visitor sideline. But other than that, I can't really remember where he was pressured, where he had to hurry a throw. And they just they're so much better. And that's why it's like I don't have a problem if TCU does have to somewhat become one-dimensional, if you can sprinkle in those explosive plays. Because as bad as they were running up the middle, there was one point they had eight carries for minus four yards trying to run up the middle. That's bad. I just want to go on the record. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't do that math. It's negative something. But when they – when when Bailey reads his blocks and he uses his, the vision that he has, he's got to improve in that area. In, in some cases, they had two two touchdown runs, thirty one and 27, 58 yards on the right side. That those are the kind of plays you need. They could they could have forty carries for one hundred and twenty yards if TCU gets two carries for forty five yards, and they re, they result in a score where they get you close to the end zone, I'm fine with that if Hoover has to throw the ball 50 to 60 times. Because I think right now your offense, you got to play to your strengths. Your offensive strength is not run blocking. It is not run blocking. And I said at one point, it's almost like KB's kind of stubborn. But he's not stubborn. I think he's patient. And I think he's trying to do what he knows can work if those guys finally start playing to their potential. We saw it last year with Garrett Riley. That's one thing that you and I both loved and a lot of TCU fans loved about Garrett Riley was his persistence in not going away from the run game so much. Now this year, I'm sitting here telling Kendall, why are we running up the middle? Why are they running up the middle? Quit running up the middle. It's not there. Those guys cannot block. But I can't fault him for it if he's trying to be patient and maybe get some confidence from those guys to, hey, maybe they spring a a good one. Like they did against Texas. Like it or not, they did not run the football very well against Texas early in the game. But late in that third and fourth quarter, they started opening up some running lanes through the middle, and Imani Bailey was able to get some yards. But that's the tough tough part about this whole thing, Jeff, because it it would be easy to throw someone out there to see if they can – if they can do, if they can run block better, but they're not going to have a particular personnel on the offensive line. Hey, you're going to go out there when we run block, and you guys are going to go out there when we pass block. That's just not how it works. It's in, in anyone that watches football, been around football. If you're if you've ever thought that, go back and read uh, uh, football 101 for dummies. I don't know what to tell you. You know. Everybody wants to say, why don't they throw a new guy out there? And they throw that out there like no one has sat around all week talking about how can we generate better results. Here's the truth. Maybe the interior, the three linemen we have in the interior are the best three linemen that they can put out there. and Or they are not the best run block linemen combination that we have, but they're the best three that we have for a passing game. 
And would you feel better, you know, run, rushing for 165 yards or 210 and throwing for 185 with Hoover running for his life and sacked four times? This is, you know, we. I, I guess that's the frustrating thing about about kind of this whole season. I there are a hundred things I wish could have gone different, and I, I there was some play calling I didn't like. There's third down execution, especially early in the season, I didn't feel good about. But the idea that these men who coach who have, in some cases, millions of dollars of livelihood on the line, are not exploring every option to make it better during the week because they know they have to roll out there on Saturday morning, the day that they are assessed, a Saturday, the day they are assessed, um, with the best combination to put the team in the best position to win. And so the three guys in the middle, yes, Willis and Lance and Deary, are the best three common, the best combination of three interior linemen that they can put out there to be able to put up 42 points against Baylor. And it could have been more if we just don't screw it up in the red zone. So that, that that's kind of my rant on that, because I think it's the best three that we have. And I think that, you know, we're, we're still dealing with the washout of the 20 and 22 class. And we've got new linemen that we need to be bringing in. We need to hit harder in the transfer portal. I think some. I think we were kind of a little weak on on our ability to assess and attract here in the transfer portal last season. And I know Dykes is going to give it everything he can to approve that. Yeah, you want to go out and find a guy. You don't want to go find a guy that's a backup at a P five. You want to. I've always thought you want to find a guy that was just a dominant guy at a G five school. If you have a guy that hits the portal that is, you know a guy that's a three-year starter at a G5 and he plays well, that's the kind of guy, that's the guy I want. That's the guy I want them to target. Or or one of these FCS teams in the playoffs. There's no reason to, to not, I, I would love to know what North Dakota State's NIL is because they've got some beefy guys up there. There's no reason we can't recruit guys from the FCS because NFL finds guys in FCS every year that can start in the NFL. So uh, anyway, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, you're good. Um, I, I agree with that too, and you know, I've I've always liked those, you know, those lower, uh, lesser recruited guys that just blow up in college. I, I I love success stories like that. But the the thing that was obvious to me, and and someone pointed it out on the board as well, is there were several times, and and I looked over at Jamie during the game because offensive, you, you can tell a person plays offensive line or or has played offensive line by the way they watch a football game because they they watch a football game in the trenches. You watch the football game in the trenches. You, that's probably where you played offensive line. For me, I'm watching the quarterback. That's that's who I'm watching. I'm watching the quarterback. He's going to be the decision maker. For the first time really this year because I started to, you know, I'm, I'm faulting those guys and I, and I told myself I, I really need to analyze and look at what those guys are doing. And for about five or six plays, I told Jamie, I said, I'm not going to do anything except watch those two guys. Because I like, I mean, it's Willis has his issues, but the, the, the problem is at center and left guard. There's any, anyone with two eyes, even if you have a one eye and a fake eye, you can still see with your one good eye that the problem is on the left side. Even Brandon Coleman got beat a couple times last night, but the thing about it is I watched those guys and there was a few times where Bailey's getting tackled and those two guys look at each other like they thought one was going to do one thing and the other one thought that they they're kind of shaking their head back and forth. There's some type of communication going on there that's not happening. And 
I don't know if that's Lance as a center that's not giving that information out or Deary's not taking the information. He's not hearing. I, I don't know what the issue is. But somewhere along that line, there is there is something that they're they're missing. And maybe the scheme from Baylor confused them. I, I don't know. But I can't blame the scheme on one team because there's been these struggles for a while. But it's it's just it's something that I I think Deary is a very strong player. He's only a true sophomore. I think he's going to get better. I think a year in the offseason, you know, this time next year, we very well could be talking about him being the best lineman on the team. Lance is a fifth-year senior. This is his last year. He's playing center. He didn't play a whole lot of center last year. So it's 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 kind of it's kind of new to him. But like you said earlier, those coaches are getting paid a lot of money for a reason, and those guys get to see those players more than anyone else on the on the roster. And I will guarantee you, AJ Ricker has evaluated the crud out of that entire offensive line roster. That's why in spring camp and fall camp, I would always report there's this guy playing, this guy, this guy's playing, left tackle's playing, right guard. I mean, he just swaps just to look and see. Can this guy beat this guy out? Can this guy do this? Can this guy do that? He's evaluating. There's not a problem. I can assure you there's not a problem with A.J. Ricker as a coach. He's coaching those guys to the best of his of his ability. But there is, there is something between the interior of the offensive line that that is problem number one that needs to get fixed over the offseason. And I think... I think you have you have to make it a priority to go out there and get they've done well getting five committed offensive linemen. They're still after another one and Samir Camacho. But they they have to find someone through that portal that I think can help them on the interior. Well, we could talk about that for years. Let's go ahead and give a nod to special teams. Um, we're gonna go again to the great Mark Cohen for his detail on this. TCU did not punt one time. Jordan, Jordy Sandy had his last game at Eamon Carter, and he didn't even have to take the field to punt. So he, that, he, he gives credit to Josh Hoover for that online. It's been since 2010 against the Air Force, and we're talking Andy Dalton here, 2010 against the Air Force, the last time TCU went an entire game without punting. So, And, and we didn't even have to send Kel out there to, to kick a field goal. So... You know, that's that speaks to our offense right there. So I just wanted to throw that out there that Jordy Sandy has, uh, you know, accomplished something great or his, his offense accomplished something great. I kind of wish he could have gone out there one more time, though. I think some of our listeners need to help and, and, and donate to his, uh, you know, donate to the charity that he's been donating to for all the kicks that he kicks and their punts inside the, is it the 20 or 10? I can't remember 20, I think. It's inside the 20 because I give to it. And as the parent of a nine-year-old on the spectrum, I thank him for what he's done. Well, our listeners and our uh, loyal subscribers, let's rally around Jordy and uh, help him out this past week because that's that's tremendous. I I didn't even know that. I I guess I missed that note. 2010, so you're talking 13 seasons since TCU hasn't had to punt the ball. I know people joke about Mark's little notes sometimes, but – that's a pretty darn good note. That's that tells you right there 
the offense was the offense was definitely clicking. Oh, dude, I love Mark's notes. He's always got fun ones. I mean, especially when he, he'll, he'll usually tweet out when we score so that we continue the, the the streak of not being shut out. And, you know, when you lose 42 to 3, it doesn't really make you feel good. But, man, the dude's consistent. He's like clockwork. And he he's a good dude. And I don't know. He supports what Jordy supports. He has he talked. He and his wife are amazing people. They talk a lot about uh, their their two younger sons that are, that are on the spectrum and the gift and and of course the challenge that that can be. And his son works at, at Albertsons. So if you're in the Albertsons down there by University, I think that's what it's still called, it's the grocery store on near University. Uh, you know, he's a bagger there. So I think the world of Mark and his family and they're a, they're a great example to so many of us. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's when. People, when he tweets out the TCU continues their scoring streak and they lose forty-one to three, people are already so mad at that, and they're like, "Oh, how do you even tweet that?" Well, it's a it's a notable thing. They didn't get shut out, so there you go. Hey, that's what SIDs are for. They're supposed to have the dumbest stats, and then of course, but he he was he was running his mouth about Max was in. I can't believe that would come out of the mouth of a official from the TCU athletic department, but it just goes to show that it was true. All right, I got I got a several things I want to run through here, Jeremy, um, and then I'll, I'll just kind of invite you in to to, to tee off on them. But uh, one thing I, I want to talk about is I, I had put out a call that I wanted to go, go to a tailgate, but man, I was I was running behind, and I had three tailgates I wanted to hit, but because of my schedule breaking down, I only was able to go to one for just just for a bit. So for the guys that invited me that I didn't come, don't take it personal. I promise I'll probably be there next fall, so I'll hit you back up. But I did get to go to one, and I, I, the reason I went to it is because it was closest to the gate. So I could go by, say hello, have a cold one, and make my way into the game. But if you'll remember Chase, who wrote the uh, letter of apology last year about how he didn't think we should hire Sonny Dykes, it was his, his tailgate, and they, call it, they have a name for their tailgate. It's called the Smoking Goat Tailgate. And uh, you too can be an investor in lot three uh, in the smoking gate tailgate, uh, the smoking goat tailgate. They had some good pork, pulled pork, great selection of beer. They had two screens up uh, watching games. One screen had the quad where you got four games going on at once. Another one had a big game on. They flipped it over to the Memphis game for me because, oh, gosh, they lost to SMU on, by one score. But I want to give a shout out to them. That was great food. But I want to hold that in contrast to something that pissed me off. I swing by Old South to get a chicken fried steak with gravy and eggs and coffee before the game. The guy seating everybody, and it's the same guy that's been there since I was in seminary. He's wearing a Baylor hat on game day. It's purple as far as the eye can see. And the guy at Old South is wearing a tailgate, is wearing a Baylor hat. I posted it on Twitter. You're a good friend of mine. That's what we'll call him. Travis Heim pops off. He's like, there should be a riot. You know, and I'm like, I'm thinking maybe an execution. But I cannot believe that Old South is putting out Baylor propaganda the day of the revivalry when it's flooded with purple fans. They're forgetting who their people are, Jeremy. Are you with me? Do you think he was just trying to get people like mad and so they'll go into the stadium being rowdy? Maybe reverse psychology, maybe? That that could be it, but that that's quite a risk to put out there, man. That's quite a risk to put out there. Yeah. Well, did you finish your eggs and chicken fried steak at least? Oh yeah, I paid for it. I I left a tip, so I, I did my I did my godly duty. So I, I'm I'm not holding it against him, I guess. I just wanted to flame because it cause it ticked me off. But two guys I saw at the stadium I want to give a shout out to on on our show. Uh, fellow by the name of Tommy on the board, longtime listener of the Frogcast, 
just straight up, as I'm standing there, walks over and says hello to me. So Tommy at TRF51 uh, on Twitter. You can find him. Tweet him at TRF51 on Twitter. Say hello to him. Tommy, thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast. We appreciate your support. And then I was humbled. Can I, I want to tell you how humbled I am. I'm coming down to meet some friends in the South Concourse, um, you know, kind of in front of the athletic office. And we said, we'll just meet under the concourse, r- basically right between the uprights at halftime. So halftime is, is starting. I'm making my way down. And you got that ramp that comes up towards the southwest corner of the stadium. Chauncey Franks walks out and he's like, hey, Jeff, it's good to see you. And I'm like, I had no idea you knew who I was. I, was, I love Chauncey. I think he's as good a man as there is. He does a lot of good work. Um, with FCA, I mean, you you want to talk about uh, what I assume is a religiously diverse collection of fifty of eighty five athletes and walk ons and staff, and he makes a commitment to minister to all of them. So yeah, I just I don't make a lot of plugs on here, but support TCU FCA. Chauncey Franks does outstanding work, and I, it was really good to see him. I I think he's a great guy. Chauncey's the best man. Him and uh, Coleman Maxwell, they're always oh, out, always out at practice. I mean, just. Two very awesome guys. Chauncey's awesome, man. I mean, he does so many good things uh, for the program, um, as does Coleman. Usually you don't – if you see Chauncey, Coleman's right beside him. But I'm surprised you didn't see him. But, the, I mean, like you said, man, just awesome, awesome guys. And I'm glad I get to know him, man. It's, 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 it's good to have friends like that in your lives. That's just – like you being my friend, Jeff. I like having people like that in my life. Chauncey's just one of those guys. We're friends on Facebook. Get to see his family. His family dresses up every Halloween. They're like they go all out, man. It's it, and, and I wait every year to see what they're going to be for that Halloween. It's when it's they did crazy. Wakanda Forever a couple years ago. They, they could have been doubles on the set. That was amazing. Yeah, <laughs> he's a. I think Chauncey. If I remember right, I think he played at Midwestern State. Um, I want to say he was a defensive lineman, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's it's awesome having him around the program, man. He he, like I said, he does so many great things um, for the student athletes. All right, let's go through three coaching things that are on a lot of uh, fans' minds. Hey, I heard a rumor that Sonny Dykes skipped out on a one on one recruiting meeting with a five star athlete just so he could go get on a Zoom with Ross Bjork, uh, Ross Bjork because I heard he's locked in to go get the A&M job. I heard he wasn't even at the walk, the frog walk as they were coming into the stadium because he was uh, going to a unnamed location to sign the contract to go be the Aggie coach. That's all true, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm blinking right now. I'm agreeing with you. You told me before the show when you mentioned this, if I blink twice, it's all correct. So, no – it's that time of year, man. It is. It's that time of year that all these rumors will start flying. You know, someone had texted me the other day about the plane going from Meacham Field to College Station. Flightware is in action, yes. baby. Flight- Flightware. Yeah, it's it's gonna happen. I mean, I mean, I just got accused of being a covert reporter for Sunny Docs coming to TCU last night because. Someone said I should I should know everything about what Sonny does because I was uh, interviewing him uh, covertly as he was at SMU getting ready to go to TCU. So 
I'm telling you right now that the relationship me and Sonny have, he hasn't told me anything about A and M, but I haven't asked either. So I, I, take take what you will about that. But it's it's that top of year, not top of year, time of year um, for all the for all the rumors to to get flared up. Well, we got one former TCU head coach I want to talk about. Interim head coach, 2021, Jerry Kill, head coach at the New Mexico State University Fighting Aggies, historically one of the worst teams in, in FCS, and he's got them at 9-3, and three, and they go on the road as a 21-point underdog and beat the brains out of Auburn. And so this is the second straight year that Jerry Kill has hammered Hugh Freeze as a 21-point underdog. Last year, he did it at Liberty as he was on the way out the door to come to Auburn. This year, they get $1.8 million to beat Auburn. And I I don't know if Jerry Kills is going to land another job. Maybe he just wants to stay there and, and just keep coaching. But if nothing else, the dude's got to get a pay raise. He should get just like a bonus of 20% of that $1.8 million because, my goodness, that was an amazing upset. I was happy for Kill, and I freaking hate you, Hugh Freeze. I know you hate Hugh Freeze. I know you hate him from his high school coaching days up in Memphis. And I'll tell you right now. Hey, I can't say on this podcast about the rumors of him in high school coaching in Memphis. Oh, you tell me, tell me after the show. They're going to rename New Mexico State Fighting Aggies to the Fighting Jerry Kills. I mean, you talk about a guy that has revived his career. There's a ton of TCU in that program. There's, there's Jerry kill. You've got Tim Beck. You've got uh, Tyler Wright that coaches tight ends down there. Uh, Tony Sanchez. That was a quality control guy. Um, Brian Hernandez is uh, works kind of in the football department, kind of operations guy. Rachel Phillips is recruiting. Um, and I think they have a couple more coaches there. Um, and I'm forgetting the names right off the top of my head, but there's there's almost I would say close to ten people that were at TCU in 2021 when Jerry was there that he took with him to New Mexico State, and so props to them, man. Props to them for uh, who would have thought New Mexico State nine and three? That's that's just crazy to think of, and that's why I think when people talk about GP getting back into coaching. And uh, you've said the same thing about New Mexico. I think if 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 there is any any kind of smoke and they do let go of their coach down there, New Mexico is going to look at New Mexico State and be like, well, they got it done with bringing a guy in who everyone thought was done coaching. He's an older guy. He's a no nonsense type guy. Let's let's bring let's bring a, a a coach like Gary Patterson in to see what he could do for our program, but. Jerry's either going to get a pay raise or he's going to be mentioned as a head coach at some of these other bigger schools that are going to have openings. I don't know what, what it's going to be. And, you know, I'm glad for him. He's, he was a, my very, very limited time being around him. He was a, a real approachable guy. I liked the way he did things. You know, the very first thing that, uh, that happened when the, you know, GP and TCU parted ways they go out there and beat Baylor, top 10 Baylor. Baylor goes on to win the Big 12 championship. Baylor goes on to win the Sugar Bowl. 
after that game against Baylor, you know, Chandler Morris has the big game. He's only a redshirt freshman, so back – if that was Gary, we wouldn't have been able to talk to Chandler. He would, he had that rule. You can't talk to freshmen where they're true freshmen or redshirt freshmen. You can't talk to my freshmen. And Jerry Kill is smart enough to be like, dude just had the best game. Everyone's talking about this guy. Let's give him the mic. Let's give him his opportunity to talk to reporters. And that's that's what was refreshing to a ton of media – around the program, just his approach to opening other people up for discussion. He let his coordinators talk. He talked. He let players that couldn't talk under GP talk. So it was, you know, that very limited time that I was around Jerry, I, I really liked the guy. And, man, I'm, I'm so happy that he's having success down there. I'm really happy for him as well. The third guy I wanted to throw in there, you've already said it. It looks like New Mexico is going to be uh, a, a real hot talking point for Gary Patterson. You know, he I, people forget a lot, obviously, if you don't go back all the way like we do. He came over with Dennis Francione in uh, – 98 and had been the defense coordinator with Fran there for a couple of years, comes to TCU coach at DC for two years. And then obviously the rest is history. This would be an easy landing spot for him. It'd be in a mountain West. looks like the mountain West is kind of going to get some revamping with uh, potentially Washington state and Oregon state coming into the conference Two two really solid teams. Oregon state's a great team. This would be a great opportunity for GP to, to coach again without it being life or death. You know, without it being you know hundreds of millions of dollars on the line, if if they go five and seven this, in a season, so do you think Gary's going to get back in? And if it's not New Mexico, where do you think it might be? Well, I haven't talked to him, but I know this. I know people that have talked to him. I know a lot of people that went to his house uh, last weekend uh, before TCU played Texas, and talking with those folks and and other people. He's he's getting antsy. He wants to coach. He wants to get back into coaching. Um, I don't know if it's – without having talked to him, I don't want to answer for him. I, I, But personally, I don't think he would be a P5 or nothing type guy. I think if the right situation comes along, if, if there's only one school that's going to give him an opportunity to be a head coach, if a place like New Mexico, if they have an opening – gives him a chance, then I could see him taking that. I could see him going to a place where there's not a ton of stress. Um, does he feel like he can go be a, a blue blood defensive coordinator? I think, I think he would do that too. But I think when you're a head coach for as long as he was, and let, let's just face it, you could say what you, what you want about GP. He's going to be in the college football hall of fame when he's, when it's all said and done, he's, He's he's earned that right for he he brought TCU from the cellar to relevance. He's you know when you when you thought of TCU and in and, and a lot of ways people still do. They think of Gary Patterson. And so for that reason alone, I really feel tr- truly feel he's going to be in the NCAA Hall of Fame when it's all said and done, but I hope that he would not look past some of those opportunities because the, the people I spoke with said he he wants to get back in the game. He wants to be there. Is he going to go back to TCU be defensive coordinator? No. All you all you guys that want to joke about that that are saying they're joking but secretly hoping for it, it's not going to happen. But 
you know, I, I do think we'll see GP coaching somewhere next year. I, I just don't know where it's going to be. There is a coach that used to be in the Big 12 that is out in Southern California that is searching for a defense coordinator. That sure would be an interesting combination. If Gary Patterson on defense and Lincoln Riley on offense can't win a conference, let alone national championship, maybe it can't be done. That would be a, a heck of a, of a way to tee that up, man. Ooh. That's the thing, too. You When you look at it's kind of you, you kind of have to have a Nick Saban type at head coach that you know you're not you, I mean it's I guess Sarkeesian was able to do it but it's 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 got to be tough for a head coach to bring in a guy that has you know so much head coaching experience and and people know him for for being a dominant name in the sport and it's kind of got a – I think in some ways it's kind of a little intimidating for some people um, because Gary is a CEO. Gary's going to want to run his own program. He's going to want to do things a certain way. And I think the thing that this these past two years or really this past year, his best friend is Jerry Kill. Jerry would tell us he learned so much – about the way he needs to approach things and the way he delegates and, and does all these things as a coach when he took that time off. I think personally, Gary has learned a lot. He's learned that you can't have a winning program if you don't support NIL. You can't be a, a you know Dabo Sweeney and not support NIL. It, we, we've all seen how, how that works. You, and you've got to you've got to utilize the transfer portal, and I think Gary has learned how to do those things, um, not do those things, but understands the importance of both those things. And he said he did at TCU. I, I honestly don't feel like he was two feet in. I think he was one foot in and kind of using his big toe to test the waters with this other foot. Because I, I don't think he was fully in to the to the whole concept of paying players thousands of dollars or you know utilizing transfer portal the way they do uh, these days. So I think he's learned that. You know, he's probably had a ton of conversations about it, and I I think I think someone's going to take a chance on him. They they will. Yeah, I think so too. I'll be interested to see where that shakes out. Well, we got one more game. There's only one more game that's promised. The Frogs go up to Norman on Black Friday, 11, 11 a.m., and play the you know the Oklahoma Sooners. Oklahoma squeaked by BYU, 31 to 24. If not for Billy Bowman having a pick six that was uh, over that was 100 yards that he picked off in the end zone, I, I don't know that if BYU doesn't win that game. So Gabriel is banged up. I don't know if it's going to be concussion that they just check, concussion protocol that's strict. Well, nobody exactly knows for sure, and I have a feeling they're not going to be real forthcoming with that. But it shouldn't give Frog fans all that much excitement because I think Jackson Arnold is is the future for Oklahoma. Jeremy, real quick, do you think the Frogs have a chance in Norman? Is there anything you've seen over these last five quarters that tells you that the Frogs can send the Sooners home um, with a loss to wrap up their time in the Big 12? Absolutely. There's there's a there's a definite chance. I mean, BYU is using their backup quarterback. I don't I, I don't think uh Oh, here's a great I just learned this this afternoon. 
they have a Jewish they have a Jewish quarterback. And you know, I, I know BYU is a is a Mormon school, and and not just like you know a Methodist school or disciple school. Like you're Mormon if you go to BYU, and he's one of five Jewish people on campus, and three of them are in the long in the law school. And uh, his joke is, I'm the BYUish quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> he has some humor about it. <laughs> I know. I thought that was great. They said he was a coach's kid. He bounced around JUCO. BYU just said, "Hey, we like your film. If you want to come, and th- he's he's out there lighting it up with uh, with the LDS." So, I mean, hey, anytime people of different faiths come together and live in harmony, that's what the world needs. Maybe we can send them to the Middle East and solve all of the problems. That sound like a good plan to you? Yes, preach on, preacher. I agree. But I I, I watched that I watched that game and absolutely. I mean, TCU is going to have to do a good job stopping the run. Um, Salchuk has been gaining some some really good uh, rushing yards here of late. I think he's got three or four games in a row where he surpassed the 100-yard mark. He's a guy that TCU recruited pretty heavily out of Colorado. Um, I, I want to say that, that Jones liked him pretty good. Uh, but if, if, they can, if they can limit the big plays – I mean, the the bad thing is, how old were you and I the last time they won at Norman? You know, subtract, we were 30 years old, basically, 29, in our 20s. That was, that was 2005. Yeah, 18 years ago. I was – I just turned 30. Yeah, so we were 29, 30. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. I, I, I think they're due to get a win up there. I, I feel like Oklahoma – their secondary is real susceptible to giving up big plays. I think if Josh Hoover can um, throw like he's been throwing and the offensive line, like I said earlier, I don't think they have to go out there and block for them to gain 150, 170 yards on the ground. If they can, if they can just spring a couple big plays and they can protect Josh Hoover for as long as he needs it, they're going to be fine. They're going to score some points. I, I really feel confident that these last six quarters have shown us something from this TCU offense. Josh Hoover didn't have a turnover last week. That's something that we didn't talk about. It's first game he didn't have a turnover. And so I think he's playing at such a high level. And for any of you that haven't watched, his shoulder's fine, by the way. His shoulder has kind of been bothering him for a few weeks. He's going to play. He's 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 going to go out there. He's, he's not, he's not going to miss this game. But – I urge any any TCU fan, if you haven't looked at the player interviews and in in particular his interview, you need to watch it and and just tell me that 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 guy is a guy that you can't trust. And he's gonna have he's gonna be prepared. He's gonna have all of his offensive teammates prepared. I think they're gonna have a chance to go up there and keep TCU in this game. Defense has to eliminate big plays. They have to play the bend, don't break defense. I think TCU can definitely win because, like I told you last week, and I've told a lot of radio shows I've been on, even with Texas sitting there at 10 and 1, there is no dominant team in this conference. There's no, dom- even TCU last year to a degree, yeah, they were undefeated, but they won so many games that were close in the conference. But you go back and, and, and you just look at this, the way things have worked out, 
Oklahoma beats Texas. They've lost to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State loses to UCF by a million. I mean, they I couldn't believe that score. I, they lost what was the score? Like forty-five to ten, something stupid. Yeah. But, but you have so many games where it doesn't really matter the records. And yeah, TCU is ninth in the Big Twelve. OU still fighting for a chance in the in the in the Big Twelve title game. That's that's what they're fighting for. Um but absolutely, absolutely. I, I feel that TCU can go up there and win that game. They're playing with a lot of momentum right now. I think if they can score early and not stress about having to having to keep up and they can get an early lead, I think that's what they really need. I think if I think if TCU can find a way to score first, whether seven if they can score a touchdown first, seven nothing. It doesn't have to be fourteen, doesn't have to be seventeen. They can just find a way to get up seven nothing. And just go from there and not have to play catch up. I think they win this game. I think they, they win this game. They finish six and six. They're going to go bowling somewhere, hopefully to your neck of the woods, Liberty Bowl, maybe. And uh, they have a chance to win seven games. And I think anyone, when you look at how this season has, has been played, I think a lot of people would be happy, number one, with the bowl game. I know Sonny, some, someone asked that question today. Would, would Sonny Dykes be happy with the bowl? Absolutely. Fifteen more practices? Are you kidding? Yeah, they're 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 going to absolutely love that um, if they get to play in a bowl game. So I think they win. I think they get to a bowl game. I think they win their bowl game. They win seven games. I know I'm crazy with predictions, and I've been so far off this year. But I, I really, for some reason, man, I just I feel like Friday is going to be different for them. I feel like they're going to go up there. Oklahoma's got issues on defense, and it seems. That TCU, they've got six quarters where they have played consistent football on offense, scoring points, moving the football. I think that's what gets them gets them past OU on Friday. All right, everybody. We opened with our gambling bit. We're going to close with it. You can take your kids' retire your kids' scholarship or your kids' tuition fund and your whole retirement fund and lay it on this. Here's a three game parlay for you. TCU is going to beat Oklahoma. Texas Tech is going to beat Texas. And then Oklahoma State, no, excuse me, Kansas State is going to beat Iowa State. Those are my, That's my prediction. And that's going to create absolute chaos as to terms of who gets into the Big 12 title game. So I got TCU beating Oklahoma. I got the Red Raiders beating Texas down there in Austin. That's got to catch up with them at some point, doesn't it, Jeremy? If there's one team, they're going to go for it every single time. They don't yep. care. I think McGuire's going to win. Yeah. I mean, that's they've made it to a bowl. There's nothing to lose. There's nothing to lose for him. So they're going to go in there and, yeah, he's he, he's going to remember what Brett Yormark told him at the beginning of the year. And how crazy would it be? I mean, I, I don't, I haven't really looked at it. So Texas isn't guaranteed a spot in the title game. Uh, right now, I think one of the reporters had said that they already clinched it, but they haven't. No. So if if, if they lose, it basically gets thrown into chaos because you've got Oklahoma who has if if Oklahoma beats TCU and Texas loses to to uh, Tech, 
then they've got a head-to-head. There's some crazy stuff with Oklahoma State I don't understand. There's a scenario where Texas loses and they're out. And it's not like, you know, an eight-game parlay or anything like that. But Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and Texas all have some sense of pathway to the playoff. And I think Texas is the only one that controls their destiny. They win, they're in. But if they lose... That, that doesn't mean that they, they fall to, quote, second place or whatever. It could get ugly really quick. Interesting. Very interesting. Ought to be a fun weekend of football in the Big 12. And in the Big 10, because I can't wait to see Michigan-Ohio State. I got all my heart on Ohio State. I want I want Michigan to lose so bad. So bad. So we could do a podcast on Michigan. I mean, there's a lot of chaos this year for for the playoffs. There's there's a lot of different scenarios out there. If there's one scenario I am pulling for, it is um, Florida State. Even with Jordan Travis being out, that's awful. I want an undefeated ACC, Ohio State undefeated Big Ten, then uh, Georgia undefeated SEC, and then Washington undefeated Pac ten, Pac twelve. Guess who's left out in that scenario? A lot of one loss teams. You're on mute. You're on mute. You're on mute. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. There would be a one loss team that's left out, and that's University of Texas. I would love for Texas to have a win over Alabama, uh, you know, come win the Big 12 title and then still miss the playoff because there's four undefeated Power Five teams. I, I would love that'd be a fitting end to the playoff, uh, the 14 playoff. Well, then you also have the opportunity where Oregon can beat Washington. And those two teams are one-loss teams that have beaten each other, I think. Um, I mean, there's just so many different things that can happen. But I think you answered my question, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask it anyway. Do you root for Texas to get in the playoffs so the Big 12 can get all that playoff money? Or do you say, screw it, there's no way I want Texas to have bragging rights that they won the Big 12 in their last year? Jeremy, I have known you for years. We've done this show religiously, no pun intended, forever. The answer to that question is I want Texas to lose in a Friday fr- I want Texas to lose to Texas Tech. I want Texas if even if they weasel their way into the Big 12 title game to lose to Oklahoma State or Kansas State. There's not a world where I want Texas to have made the playoff. I don't want them to get in just so they can get boat raced. I don't even want them in. I'm disappointed in what they've done so far this season. I want them to go back to their rightful place of being overhyped at the beginning of the season and then limping to an 8-4 and four season and watching men cash out money from their, their net profits that year in the market in order to hire someone that they're going to fire in 2028. That's how I feel. <laughs> well, you didn't mince any words there. I was just wondering because our listeners don't know but it looks like you're wearing a burnt orange shirt. It, it, maybe I'm colorblind. Oh, it does have a longhorn on there. Hook'em horn? Oh, no. That is an orange shirt that says St. Jude. I live two miles from St. Jude's Children's Hospital, which if if you can give money to anything, give to St. Jude's. They do amazing work. That is not a Texas longhorn shirt. That's St. Jude. <laughs> oh. All right, everybody. Got anything else, Jeremy? I'm going to wrap us up. All right. Well, hey, everybody. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. As always, you give us a rating or review and find us on your podcasting app of choice. And if you haven't yet, go to hornfrogblitz.com and sign up. Now is a great time to continue to stay logged in to Hornfrog Blitz, where we got information as we're sprinting towards the end of the season, hopefully a bowl game. And signing day will be coming up here soon. You never know the chaos that can take place on National Signing Day. And what comes with Signing Day now in this world is the transfer portal. And you're going to start to see things heating up on that front. So until we get together again next week, hopefully to talk about a big win over the Oklahoma Sooners, for our producer, Daniel Southern, for Jeremy Clark, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. Frogcast.